Mad Beef is kept going and growing by generous support from Skater HQ. Bill and the team have been heavily involved in the inline skating community since 1991 and continue to support competitions, skaters and now a podcast. You can visit Skater HQ at one of their Sydney shops or shop online at skaterhq.com.au. Also, big thanks to our Patreon supporters. It really means a lot. If you want to become a patron of the podcast, find us on Patreon and pledge a monthly contribution. Even just $2 a month would be a huge encouragement. Hi, this is Mad Beef, the Australian Rollerblading Podcast. I'm Mikey Lynch, and in this episode, I talk again with Sessa Mora, former uh, world champion in vert skating. Um, and uh, look, we talk about the um, the Sydney rollerblading scene in the 1990s, uh, his progression and achievements in the area, particularly of spin tricks up to the 1260, with some trip trick tips thrown in along the way. Uh, we discuss the the process of constructing a um, uh, a competition run. Um, and also what it was like to um, experience the twilight of um, legend Chris Edwards' uh, competition career and the um, the dawn of the Yasutoko brothers, Ato and Takeshi's um, uh, vert careers. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Just one more thing before we begin, um, and that is, uh, if you like the podcast, would you do us a favour and share it round and maybe even think about um, liking us on iTunes, because one of the ways people find podcasts is they search for a theme like rollerblading, um, you know, on things like iTunes, and then um, they suss out reviews and stuff. So that can, that can be just a little, another little small way you can help people find the content if you reckon it's worth recommending that people find it. That'd be cool. Okay, catch you later. Hey, how going? Hey, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. It's nice to be able to do another one. Yeah. It was like it was ages ago, but it wasn't that long ago. I know, like maybe it's only a month or something, I think. And as I'd uh, yeah. said to you on um, email or something, um, it's it's been a really, people have been really keen to listen to the episode. So of all the ones I've done anyway in my little podcast, it's um, it's far surpassed any i think all the others are the big ones are in the sort of 200-ish listens on my soundcloud and you know, the high 200s maybe and yours is 406 listens as of this morning so um people are keen to hear what you have to say i think and and i mean little things like you know the blader union guys took out a little extract of it and whacked it up as a separate article to give it a bit of extra profile too i suppose and things but it's good hey no, it's good, man. I told you, you're doing you're doing a good thing. Little, <laughs> little little person over there running a little thing in Tasmania. Yeah, man. Yeah, I realised we didn't um, technically. Uh, I mean, you you acknowledged it, but I feel like on behalf of the rollerblading community, we should also thank your um, your girlfriend. What's her name? Laura. Laura, for um, encouraging you to start getting the Instagram stuff out there, which led to then this podcast and stuff, because I think you were saying she was yeah. the one who said I should do it. And, and so thank you, Laura, on behalf of Rollerblading. We appreciate you giving uh, Cesar that encouragement, because um, we've all benefited from... Yeah. I mean, you've kept doing it, man, all the stories and the pictures. It's really interesting and um, fills in heaps of gaps. Yeah. yeah. I think she, she regrets it now. <laughs> <laughs> Does she? This has created a monster. It created a monster. <laughs> As in, can't talk right now. Got to post something. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm not. I'm not like that. I, saw, I I look at it a couple of times a day and and move on. I don't sit there for hours and hours on it. But it's nice, isn't it? Because there's like little. I, I keep seeing little things where someone goes, "Oh, Cesar, hey, how you going?" And, and you get to have these little um, chats with people from your past on whatever random post they happen to stumble across first. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't know, like, sometimes you can't see the, the, the little photo um, and sometimes the name is just some random name, so you don't know who, who it is and they're like, oh, how are you? And I have to go into their Instagram to see who they are. Mm. And it's been good because, yeah, I have caught up with a lot of um, people from the past, from from all over the world, not just Australia. And and it's it's been good because, you know, like, people have good positive memories of our interactions and all our times together, which is beautiful. You know, I love that. Yeah, it's great when it's positive, isn't it? Um, uh, I, we talked with, um, you and I talked, and I just talked with um, Ryan from BMAG about trying to get some of that stuff kind of cross-posted onto their, um, you know, kind of webzine. And um, 
and he's just sort of under the pump with other stuff like most people I guess they're kind of doing this stuff while doing other stuff and um, a million balls so he's still keen but it's just um, just hasn't got to it yet and I think now with the blading cup coming up he's kind of got his eyes on that and I guess that involves if he's going over that's you know international travel for him because he's based in Europe so so we'll get there with that and and I don't know whether um, whether that um, you'd sent through those four pages awesome four pages of your sort of journal about um, the Aussie scene in the 98. Um, had that been published anywhere before? I can't, I can't remember because I used to write a lot of stuff just for myself. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember if that was just something I just wrote for myself to keep in my own files. I found a lot of other, other stuff. Yeah. A lot of, uh, I used to write myself a lot of things. Um, maybe on trips. I always used to keep diaries, that's for sure. Yeah. But I used to write these long little things on trips or guys I used to travel with or the good things about the trip or what I saw. And and that was just one of them I found the other day about the, how well the Aussie skaters were doing around 98. Yeah. Is that so like not, not something like that? Is that something you'd be happy if, if those guys are happy to publish that as well? To sort of, I mean, I know it's kind of history rather than kind of current stuff, but I mean, you let me know which stuff you'd rather keep for yourself or just share with a few people and which stuff you'd be happy to share wider. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's fine. I think cool. they're like pages out of a journal of, what, of, of exactly what happened and what was going on and who were who, who the, the players involved. Uh, and the other thing I just thought I'd say since I got you is um, really lovely to have you and then Scotty Crawford and um, Ian all kind of commenting on my little efforts on the, um, the vert bowl the other day and getting, um, you know, getting very specific concrete things to, to go away. You know, like it's way better than, you know, really generalised abstract comments, but to get very specific things that I could picture myself having to work on is, is a great deal of help. So I feel pretty spoiled getting that kind of input. So thanks for taking the time. Oh, mate, look, we've all been there. That's why. We've all been there. We've all been at that point where like, damn it, why does this feel so hard? And then you look back and you're doing it a lot easier. Why? It's because your technique is different and we, we learn how to – and plus the bowl's not the easiest. Oh, man, well, this yeah. is the thing I was going to say. Like you're saying carve, but I feel like I start to get a bit dizzy with those kind of circular bowls. Like you feel like you're going around – you know, like you, it's not as easy as carving across a, a, a flat face of a, a half pipe. Um, no, no, it's, it's probably a bit tighter, a bit smaller, yeah. Yeah, and then but, the, uh, the coping bit as well. I mean, um, Ian said you don't want to hit the coping, but I'm, I think that's part of what I'm doing is I'm seeing that come up and I'm going, oh, it just, I don't know if it's just in my head, but it feels like it juts out a little more than, than what it seems like a metal pipe coping does on a, on a normal ramp. Um, any, any advice on just that? On, yeah, uh, normally, yeah, the idea is when you come up off an air or anything, you try to leave the ramp before you hit the coping, maybe a foot before that. You're already starting your dump because you're bringing your legs up. So basically the idea is to leave the ramp before you hit the coping. Like maybe a foot before you hit the coping, you're already uh, beginning that um, that tucked kind of jump motion to get up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of skaters uh, – there were skaters that used to hit the coping on the way up, but that's dangerous because that can just throw you right off yeah. and it'll throw you out. Um, so the idea is to – about a foot before the top of – if you – it's not a planned thing. It's just a natural thing that happens. But if you look at guys skating, you'll see they'll probably leave the ramp the latest a foot before the coping. They're already starting their the trick, the, the tuck or whatever it is. Yep. But uh, not turning is the big thing you're saying. So carving but not doing a turn because the, the head will take your body in the direction your head's going. Yeah, you're turning. You, you, your backside's going up very quickly. Yep. And, and, and turning, and yep. that, that means you're en- that means you're ending your whatever progress you're going upwards. Yeah. So the idea is to stay like create a curve, like an arc. Yep. And gradually bring your knees up to your chest, and gradually turn your body and your knees together, not your knees down, and then your body. You know, you kind of try and like as if you were sitting in a seat, and someone was just, just turning you sideways slowly, and then you go back into the ramp. Yep. And don't you're reaching down. Uh, to your skates, and that yeah. stops your upward motion as well. You got to bring your skates up to you. Yep, gotcha. So tuck it, tuck it up. It's scary. I know it's scary, especially in a concrete bowl. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's scary. 
Do you have any other things to any wooden round? Uh, look, that's the, that's, the, that's the only thing that goes to vert in the whole state, Sessa, which is a real drag. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you can learn on it. We learn on any, anything. You just get used to it. Well, that's what you were saying last time, right? And so hopefully then yeah. I'll feel um, all the better once I do manage to kind of clamber across the Bass Strait and, um, you know, and skate something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, that, oh, it's all you, really helpful. If you, if, you get, if you get used to that, when you get to a normal nice ramp, you'd love it. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I um, uh, I feel like it's a great time of year to get all that sort of advice and come back in because like it's days are getting longer, work patterns for me change, so I feel like I potentially have the opportunity to kind of get in some good chunks a few times a week. And so um, once I feel like I'm getting a bit, bit of progress with some of those things, I'll post up another video. And if you wouldn't mind taking a look again and tell me if I'm on the right track, that, that would be, um, that'd be awesome. And uh, <laughs> um, we'll see how we go. Oh, yeah, look, yep. that, it's, it's very easy to criticize. So don't worry, I'll, I'll do a good job. <laughs> okay, deal. Perfect. All right, let's, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Um, and uh, the, the first thing that I think you foreshadowed the last time we chatted was about the kind of how the geography of Sydney and the shops in Sydney, I think there's like Burwood and Manly and a few other places, right, That how they mm-hmm. kind of generated their own clumps and groups and personalities and that kind of stuff. Should we kick off there? Do you want to sort of describe a little bit about... Because I know a bit about um, what's become Skater HQ, Manly Blades and the Bill Vitucci and all that, just a little through talking with Ian and... Um, and hearing a bit from Scott, but um, do you want to sort of paint a picture of the that um, landscape a little more for us? Yeah, so you had I started at um, a shop called Skateboard World. Yep. And they sold rollerblades and skateboards and all kinds of things, and um, so that was my start. And but they didn't really like I, I got roses into that shop. They did mainly Taiwanese skates and cool roller derby and other skates because the profit margin is obviously bigger if you do the yeah. cheaper skates but i got roses in there and then we started getting actually some serious skaters coming in to buy skates and wheels and whatever so that was good and then uh, speaking with the people at bondi and they said mate whenever you if you want we'd love to have you here and and so that's where i started at um, bondi boards and blades um but the manly team manly was already very established yeah uh, from be- from before i was even started to skate and that was with, um, obviously, Bill, which I admire a lot. I, r- I wrote that post about him. Yep. He's just a he's just a champion bloke. He's a, you know, a businessman. you got to make money, but he's put back so much into the sport. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes at his own cost, I'm sure. Um, and he's helped so many skaters. And he won't write about it or anything, but he's helped a lot of guys with employment, with sponsorship, with, you know. No, he's with, throwing a bit of pocket change at this podcast, even. Yeah, well, and you know who else has? I mean, you know, yeah. that's that's the type of person he is. He's a he, he's smart. He he's a good businessman, but he's also done a lot for skating, yeah. and he survived. He survived Great in a time. landscape where 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 no one else really has survived. Everyone's gone down. That people are reopening now, or whatever. But yeah, he's kept it. He's kept it going. He's innovated. He he went online. He got skateboards and bikes, and like he's you know what I mean. He adapts. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you had Team Manly, which was Scotty, John Pollard, Blake Reed, Cal Mulvey. Uh, I can't remember. They had a couple of changes, a few other guys. Yep. Um, and then, so they were an established show team. They did shows. and They had their they own good. ramp, right? They had their own portable little death ramp. <laughs> but, man, the mileage Bill got out of that ramp was amazing. Yeah. He used, he used it for shows. He used it for competitions. He used it for everything. So... Uh, again, it's a super smart. He got a he built early on a portable ramp. Yep. That he could just fold up, put on like it was part of the back of a truck, I think, and then you just drive it to a next place and you open it up and you. And it was a bit scary because it was like already like three foot off the ground. Yep. So the flat the flat bottom was three foot off the ground. So when you came flying off it, you. Yep. Was <laughs> yeah. Was that um, one of those ramps like the one they had at the um, the St Kilda comp that year? Like you know, and often those show ramps no. are quite narrow. Do you know no. what I mean? Like that's where you kind of you can't even carve too much without sort of risking coming right off the end. No, the, the that was a different ramp. That was a that was not a very good ramp. That St Kilda ramp, but yeah. uh, that was just one they just built. I'm pretty sure I don't know whose ramp that was, but yeah. the Bill, Bill's ramp was only like four or five panels wide. Yep. High. Uh, off the off the ground it wasn't very big ramp so it was very it was like a springboard it was very whippy yep 
and depends how you set it up. The vert was scary. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it did. you get used to it and it served its purpose and you could you could blast on it and you'd have fun. And Yeah. I came. I did shows at Penrith on that thing for, for Bill. Yep. And I came off backwards off the side. And I, so I was like <laughs> off the side of the ramp, 10 foot up, landing on the speakers on the side uh. of the – so everyone got nailed on that ramp. Like, no, I don't think anyone got away with it. But the death um, ramp, the death ramp. So you had, um, yeah. So you had team, you had team Manly, and then you had we had a little team at Bondi, which was more of younger skaters coming up. So we had Josh Pincus, Ben Cornwall, we had little Elliot who won the the best junior t- titles in Australia and at the Australian titles, and then you had Natalie, mm-hmm. Natalie, Mu- Natalie. I think Mullins was a surname. Um, fifteen year old, she. She never lost a competition, and she then she just stopped skating. She was very graceful. She was really good, and yep. but just just <laughs> just stopped skating. It was weird, but um. So we had, yeah we had a little team going on there where we'd go do demos and we we do opening for blockbuster video stores. Yeah, and we and we take these little lawn tramps and go do front flips and whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, um, you you also had like a little group of guys down at Wollongong, and they would travel around and and come to the shop all the time and get the rail out and play on the rail all day. Or you'd have the guys from Newcastle. Yeah. Um, there, there was just clumps of you know the Penrith boys. You had all the Parramatta boys. So you had clumps of groups of skaters. What wasn't more like not, not like gangs or anything like that. Everyone skated together. Yep. But um, it was a very vivid scene. It was very. And, and going back to what we were talking about, they, they'd rock up to a street session and then all those guys would go to a ramp session together. And yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It, it didn't matter. Everyone was just skating. We didn't yep. break it up back then. All but, the bird skaters would get on the rails, put those portable rails on the shop and just start practicing like grind tricks. Like it, it didn't matter. So you, um, Bill stands out as a personality. Are there other sort of shop owners or others in the mix in terms of uh, – "Quote unquote grown-ups who were facilitating some of this. Any other people that uh, were in the foreground? Um, well, the, the guy at um, Ian Pilcher, the guy that owned Bondi Boards and Blades, uh, he'd sponsored a lot of kids too, and um, he helped me out to get overseas in the first place. And he set up a few comps, which was a nightmare at Bondi with dealing with Willara Council and mm. and and whatever to to, to organise anything there. So. He, he did his he did his best there, um, but you know times got tough. He had two stores and and he had to get out. Um, he had a lot of characters coming from from Melbourne. I know you're talking about the Sydney scene. Yep. But he had a lot of characters in Melbourne doing a lot of things for the for the skaters as well over there. Yep. Um, it was it was just a good, it was just such a vibrant time, good scene, all yep. over. Yeah. People from Mudgee. There was a little scene in Mudgee, and I didn't even know where that was at the time. And yeah, the, the Queensland skaters, um, and even Western Australia. My dad walked into a shop and they had my poster on the wall, and he was buying his. He had a son as uh, after me, mm-hmm. and he was buying buying him something, and <laughs> they asked him his name and all that, and they said, "No, you're not Cecil Moore's dad." So, and he mm-hmm. he never really he never really um, experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so he was a little bit taken aback. He, he didn't understand it all fully, but um, classic. Western Australia had quite a big, big scene as well. Yeah, Adelaide, Adelaide had, had a lot of skaters yeah. as well. So, um, back then, like before the internet, there's way more potential to sort of kind of for rumours and misinformation to kind of flourish in various kinds of ways. So, I mean, you gave a story which is more an international story about um, a, a trick that Matt copied from you and then took overseas before you could get there but was there a similar thing even happening locally where there'd like be kind of rumors and maybe kind of slightly blown out of proportion rumors about this or that new skater who is a you know a rising star and this or that group or, or anything like that was there kind of uh you know pre-internet allows this kind of chatter to sort of you know sort of circulate in a different kind of way yeah yeah you'd hear because oh, i worked in the shop i used to hear it all people would come in and <laughs> tell me everything and um people were, oh this guy did this rail or this guy this guy's really good and um uh, he sometimes they were made up yeah sometimes people exaggerated stuff and uh, shit the sirens yeah 
Um, so you had that classic like, story on the Instagram about some little kid going, "Oh, you're pretty good, but Sesamora was here yesterday, and he's way better than you." <laughs> oh, I, I had that a couple of times, but this kid just stuck to his story and was telling telling to my face. So good. Like, but that that happened to Salerno as well. I think Matt was at his house just grinding the rail with his mates and some kid said, I'm, I'm Matt Salerno. And Matt's like, I'm Matt Salerno. And Matt showed him his driver's license and everything. And this, <laughs> this kid just stuck with it. Yeah. Like he just wouldn't give up. That was funny. <laughs> Were there places like kind of holy grails of, um, of gaps or rails or, I mean, I, there was the, the kick in the bell in the, the Verdex skate park that you and Ian have both mentioned. Were, were there some of those things that were kind of these particular tricks or challenges that was a, an achievement? Yeah, uh, there were... was up there at Verdex and that was always... People would come and try to kick it, but then they'd see how high it is and they'd be like, oh, wow. It wasn't that high at the time, but um, it was just scary because it's on the roof, mm. so, like... Any anytime you get near a roof, it's a bit scary. But there was always rails that people would talk about, or there's certain rails that were like the Martin Place rail, or or this rail that, or there was a kink rail somewhere else where people would they were they were famous. Like, and if someone actually did it, then everybody would know about it. Um, skate spot. We would always try to be, um, discover like new skate spots. Yep. Or we do our. We used to go on those Wednesday night. Um, city skates, yep, and jump the jump the jump the gates at at the art gallery there and skate through um, the botanical gardens in pitch black. It was pretty much pitch black. One guy had a torch at the front, <laughs> and we just follow that guy. And you, all you'd hear guys behind is just crashing into the into the gardens. <laughs> and then we'd end up at um, we'd end up at the opera house stairs. We do those as we're getting chased by the security guards. We're like riding the stairs backwards down the opera house and then skating away yep. we'd go to darling harbour and then you know get chased out of darling harbour and end up at martin place and do the rails there yeah so there was a yeah there was a lot of little skate little little ramps like i used to hear about a Lambie ramp i'm like what, what is that and i'd rock up there by myself and it was this weird little not a very tall ramp in the middle of a, a field like a uh the Manly Bowl ramp or anything like that, because actually that ramp at Manly yep. used to be a vert. Yeah, was built up was built upside down. The transition to vert, they built it upside down. That's why it was, it was only a nine foot, eight foot ramp, but it had so much oververt because they built the transitions the wrong way. Right. And um, so I never really liked skating that ramp. So as um, in like the um the, the carve of the actual curve bit was not sort of uh, it, it's not it wasn't curving the correct in the correct manner for a it went it went straight up from the bottom yep there was no there's not much of a gradual curve to it this is yep. what they told me I yeah, never sure. liked riding that ramp much yeah okay. um, you, you broke off a bit talking about you know, Alambi so Alambi was out in a, a field somewhere you're saying or something yeah Alambi I used to hear about this ramp at Alambi yeah. um, and it was just in the middle of a uh, like a football field. Yeah. No one around. And it's just this ramp just sitting there. <laughs> and so I just skated. I'd go there on days off and just have a little roll on it, go to Monoval, have a yeah. little roll on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just all these little things you'd hear about, and then you have to go and find them. There's some really old footage in one of the really early videos. I don't know if this is Mountain Place or somewhere else. Of like, I don't know if it's like sort of ten stairs and then a flat and then ten stairs with kind of like a rail that doesn't actually kink, like just two separate rails. And there's like John Pollard kind of grinding one and then transferring across onto the next one. Um, I don't know if you can picture where that might be. Um, it looks like an inner city sort of area. What um, video? Maybe public transport or something. Or maybe one of the early VGs. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell straight away. Don't worry about it. But it's just it, it struck me just because it's seeing transfers across the flat like that so early was quite, um, you know, like I think some of the switch-ups happening in even the, those first couple of hoax videos were were nothing quite as extreme as that, I think. But, yeah. No, there's – yeah, if you look if – you, if you look back, there's – 
there's a bit, quite a bit of innovation, even in the early, yeah. the early days. Like, you forget. Like, I was looking at some um, uh, Brian Bell videos because I did a little write-up on Brian Bell, the street yeah. skater, and the stuff he was doing back in the day was like comparable to now. Like it, it, and there was a lot of sk- skaters in. Like, there's one shot that Josh Pinkus of Josh Pinkus at Martin Place Rail, mm. which was not an easy rail to start with. And he does. Me and him created this look back. Uh-huh. So you kind of doing you're doing a royale down the rail, but you're looking back around over your shoulder. Yeah. So it's kind of blind, and yeah. that was that made the cover of Public Transport magazine, and they put him in a straitjacket doing it. Yeah, um, and that was <laughs> that was awesome for back then. Like that yeah. was, um, and but that, a lot of the guys, like you had the guys from Melbourne coming, like Dion Anthony and Josh Clark, and yeah. and their friends doing super kick rails and and switch ups, and I mean there was a lot of there was just so much talent back then that a lot of those guys didn't get to go overseas. Yeah. Unfortunately, like to there's only so many that can go overseas, and a lot of a lot of them were young too. A lot of them were young kids, but they were just so talented, and the, they just attack rails. I, I'd go watch them street skate. I'd, I'd be like, wow, yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I'll film it, and they would just do it. Um, some guys would do it because some of the pros would turn up, and they don't want to prove a point. Yeah, so they push push themselves a bit harder and. But you know, was, luckily the pros, the pros in Australia, they were quite supportive. They weren't dismissive, so they would go there and you know cheer the young guys on or yeah. whatever it was. If it was a bowl session or a, or a vert session or a mini ramp session, there was some awesome mini ramp sessions at Bondi. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's um, jump forward a bit and and um, and talk a little bit more about. Um, kind of spin tricks because it seems like that's one of the things that in your competition runs that you really excelled at and um, am am I right in thinking that some of the some of these spins you might have been one of the first or you know one of the early to have done like when it comes to the I mean what's your highest number of rotations successfully landed in competition is it 1080 1260 1260 it's a fakey 12 fakey 12 and is that an achievement of yours to be the first to have done that yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if we go back to '94, yep. Um, so I wasn't a natural spinner. Um, I was a bit crazy. I would jump off the back railing. I would ride on the back of buses. Whatever. I was just a bit crazy. But yep. I wasn't a natural flowy spinner. And then I just learned how to do a 360. And then from there, it just I just loved it. I learned a 540. And then I heard. Well, we saw, and I'd always hear from the Manly boys because they went overseas first, how Chris Edwards was doing 720s. Yeah. And it's like, well, if I can do a 540, it's only half more. That's that was my mentality. Yeah. Not 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 that you have to, you know, it takes a year or two to learn how to rotate. No. If if it's only half a rotation more, I'm going to try it. Yeah. So I, I did it and I did it and I did it and I did it and I slammed and I slammed and I slammed and I slammed and then I got it. And I couldn't ride for four weeks because my hip was so bruised up from falling that day, but I got it. And yep. so when I came back, I had the 720, and people would come to the ramp at Bondi just to watch me do a 720 in front of their face because <laughs> they'd never seen it before. No one had done it, and they were just yeah. like, you know, shocked. Um, and then so my mentality was, well, I can do 900 because I can do a 720. And this is still when I was spinning wild, like around 94. Yeah. And so I just throw it as hard as I could wild style. And I landed one or two, rolled out of it, slammed on the other side, did it again, landed one, and actually rolled out of it. And there was a skateboarder called Mick Mulhall and I think the roller skater Paul. Yep. They were at, they were at Bondi and they were there and, and they saw that. And then – I got confident and thought I could land it every time and just smashed, like completely smashed myself. Because like I told you, I never used to bail. I used to try and put my feet down no matter what. So I kind of forgot about that. Then I started flip. Then I I saw that um, Airborne movie with Chris Edwards, and he did like a McTwist and landed fakie. I was like, hold on. That's a 720. But he did it McTwist style. 
So the next day I went to the ramp and I got it. And I got it so smooth where you couldn't even hear the wheels hit the ramp. Like it was just a really smooth, flowy yep. road, rotation. And then, So then I spent a, a while doing everything flippity. Like everything was flipped. Everything was McTwisted, 720 McTwist. Even my fakie 900s, I could do them McTwisted. Yeah. Um, and going going back to the 900, the reason why I learned the 900s was because I was I could do fakie 540s. Yeah. So so again, I should be able to do fakie 720s, no problems. But I didn't realize back then. So this is when you go through a learning thing. I didn't realize that I was better landing fakie than landing forwards, especially back then. Mm. So to do a fakie 720, you got to land forwards. Yep. And that just, I just couldn't see the landing. I just couldn't do it. And I'd keep over-rotating. And there was a skateboarder called Chris who was the first – he wasn't the friendliest guy, but he kind of took a liking to me for some reason. And he talked to me and whatever. And he was the first to ever be captured on camera doing a McTwist on a skateboard in Australia, first Australian skateboarder. Yep. And he said to me, why don't you do a 900? I said, because – you can't. No one, no one can do a 900. He said, well, you're pretty much doing it, but you're just not putting your feet down. I said, I'm trying to do a 720. He goes, well, why don't you try to do a 900? Yep. And within five minutes, I was, I was landing fakie 900s. And, that and, was, and uh, was this, was this still corked a bit? Like, was it still like kind no, of? No, no, no. Yep. no this, 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 was, yep. this was straight. Yep. Um, after this, this is when I started corking and stuff. But, um, yep. yeah, so I, I got it. Yep. And I was doing them low, and he said, just go higher. I said, but it's a bit scary. He goes, but the transition will help you. Yep. I said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So I went up and I did a big, like, like you know, two, three foot fakie air, just not higher than the coping. Yeah. And did it and had so much time to land it, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so that's 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 where it just really took off for me. Um. And then I started doing the 720 straighter again. Started trying to get all my spins straight again and have the flipped ones as well. Yeah. And so that's where in 98 I learned – I started redoing the the 1080s a bit higher and that's when I first landed the, the first 1080 proper in the Goodwill Games in New York. Yep. Um, and then the year the year after that, in 99, at Boulder, Colorado, Colorado I landed the fakie 1260. Yeah. Um, and that, but, but I was not a natural spin. You know, so who was close was at like that point? Who else was was going past the two rotations at that kind of time? Uh, look, at the time, '98, yeah, beginning in '98, it was getting a little bit uh, um, stagnant. Like we were all stuck on 720s, we were all stuck on fakie 900s. Yep. And then after the 1080, it kind of like boomed again. Yep. You know, and then it pushed people further, and then people started doing double backflips, and then double. So it kind of gave it a little jump, little jump start to keep going. Yep. It's funny how that works, isn't something. it? How someone yeah, sort of snaps through. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it was like when we used to wait around for the new hoax video or the new video groove, yeah. uh, the new VG video. Like, you kind of stick to your, whatever you're doing, and then bang, you see the new tricks, the new videos, and then your skating level just went up another notch. So that comes back to that psychology thing, right? That if someone's saying you can't do 900s, then you don't even try, yeah. do you? You just go, you can't do 900s. But as soon as you No, go, because, yeah. because Chris Edwards couldn't do them, so that means you couldn't do them. But that was, that was yeah. our mentality. Yeah. You know, but, but my mentality was like, well, it's only half a turn more, even though it's a lot different. But yeah. to me, being so naive and, and not coming from a rolling background, like I said, I came from soccer. I didn't come from rolling. To me, it was like half a turn more, just do it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Where you know it doesn't really work like that in the real world, but um, <laughs> but 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 I, I I got hurt. I learned a lot. I slammed a lot. Yeah. And that's why I can help people easily to fix their problems with skating, with spinning, with airing, because I went, I did all those mistakes myself. Yeah. And I had to learn myself how to correct them, yeah. how to do them better. I'd watch other guys that were doing them properly and learn how to do it that way and. Hmm. You know, so I can. I, I've always been good to help with helping people because of that, because I did the same mistakes as them, and I came out the other end. Yeah. Um. Uh, then you add in grabs to your, these very fast multiple rotations, so it's not just 
I mean, like Chris Edwards was the kind of, you know, the judo McTwist or whatever looked sort of sick. Um, but then, you know, there's some of those really early photos, right? There's that great one of him upside down on that backyard ramp, you know. But then you're doing uh, quite elaborate grabs, cross grabs, legs straight grabs while rotating well past 540. Um, and that's hard, right? Because the more tucked you are, um, the more, in a sense, you've, you've got like a, you know, kind of an axis, a centre of axis that you're all kind of spinning around, whereas you stick a leg out or something and you're slowing down the spin? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I've always I've always tried to innovate. I've always tried to to create new airs. I used to go with my photographer friend, Martin Lockman, down to the beach, and we used to just do a session just on airs, different grabs, and work out what I thought looked good, I'd look in the camera, I'd look at the photo later and be like, oh, that's not so good. Maybe I'll change this or I'll change that or I'll change the angle. Or... And so once you've got all your grabs, as far as airs, yeah. then you start implementing them into your spins slowly, your 360s, your 540s, your 720s, whatever. And, and it, that was a gradual process because some grabs were a lot harder to do once you do like a 720 or, or a 900. Um, but I, I was determined to not just do nothing spins. I always tried to do some sort of grab, some sort of maybe an alley oop, some sort of something different than just your normal go up, spin, and come back down. Yeah. Now for alley oop, we just need to say that for for more recent people, they only know alley oop as being a kind of spinning towards an obstacle to grind backwards down it sort of thing. Whereas alley oop with vert skating is. Uh, where your body's travelling the opposite direction to its turning, right? So if you're yeah, so turning you, anticlockwise, an alley-oop is travelling kind of left to right while turning yeah, so anticlockwise. If you, if, you, if you usually turn left, yep. so the nat- natural thing will be to carve pa- a panel also to the left, yep. and you look to the left, that's safer. Yep. An alley-oop will be still still turning to the left, still looking to the left, but you're, you're going like almost inside out, so you... You're traveling to the right. Yeah. So it makes the landings blind. Yep. It ma- it makes you, – you kind of can't tell if you've sucked in or pushed out from the ramp So until you you landed. That's in an air. Yeah. So when you're doing that with a spin, it's a lot blinder, but it feels really good. So if you – like an alley-oop 720 was one of my favorites because you just chuck it hard, tuck it up, tweak it, and – and when when you, if you landed good on that one, you'd land with so much speed for the other side. Yeah. But it was harder because it's bl- it's blind. It's harder to see your you landing. Yeah. And it's harder to it's harder to um, actually generate the height and speed like you would the other way because you kind of go, you're kind of going in the, in reverse. Forces are kind of pulling in opposite directions, aren't they? Yeah. So even like a nice a nice big alley of three hundred and sixty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, grabs. Some grabs didn't work. Some grabs were just really hard because they just stop your spin completely. So what's one of them? Um, like, uh, so like <laughs> a rocket. Like, yeah. if you do a rocket five forty, for example, it's very tricky to even get your legs up, let alone keep rotating. Kind of stops your spin. And so I so end up with like more of a late kind of thing rather than. That's right. Yeah. So I would do a 360 rocket, 360. So like a 720 with a rocket in the middle. Yeah. But I never did like a rocket all the way around. Yeah. Uh, um, that's where the, the the McTwist, the flip spins came in. So a 720 McTwist, I could grab a rocket almost all the way around because it was inverted and you can come kind of. Um, blue cans hold. I, I used to try and hold them like all the way around. Yep. Um, if you get it good from the start. Then that lead leg takes you around. Otherwise, it just throws you right off. Yep. And the thing, the thing with that is, you got your legs sticking out. So if you land too close to the coping, your legs gonna hit the coping. So there's a lot of little. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, some some tricks I would pur- purposely try and land into the transition. Other other tricks I would purposely push back, and then do my rotation so I'd have enough room to land and not trip up. Tricks thrown differently. If you do a carved uh, to the left, a big carved spin, that's thrown differently again. Yeah. Um, because once you go carve alley oop, your landing is off center now. Your landing, it's a lot easier to, to whip out, to slip out, because you're not going straight up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the, the force going sideways on your wheels and your skates as it lands. 
What were you saying? We lost you and you broke up when you were saying what made a rocket McTwist doable. Is that because you're not, the legs yeah. aren't sticking yeah. so parallel to the deck? Off, then you're just going to wipe out. Yeah. Where if you're a little bit, so you're more, um, you can get out of it where it's, see, 720 McTwist or 900 McTwist, or whatever, it's kind of cheating a bit of the rotation. Yeah. Because you're not doing it a full 360 all the way around and then another full 360 all the way. Around. You're kind of going, 360 then a flip and come out yeah so you can kind of get away with certain grabs in certain positions doing it that way yeah um like for, for me that's the safest if i try to teach people to spin and grab if you spin to your left look over your left shoulder grab left yeah if it's a mute if it's a near mute if it's a just grab your shin grab your your skate and that will keep you flowing uh to come out backwards perfectly and it won't stop your rotation it will help you and some of the tweaks i do some of those full those near mute or the left hand big tweaks or the cross ones mm. they actually pull they pull you around they're hard to grab but once you grab them if you tweak it properly they actually pull you around yeah so it helps you with your rotation where if you do right hand um grabs a lot of them can stop stop the rotation so yeah yeah Everyone, everyone, everyone has their, you know, like a lot of skaters like to do a right hand mute like 540, and they they would do that perfect. And once they did a left hand, it just threw them off. Yeah. So everyone everyone finds what they're comfortable with, and uh, but as a general rule, if you spin left, look over your shoulder left, and, and then grab, grab left. with the left hand. Yeah, that's a really great little pick up. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh, Oh, yeah. One other thing you're saying on the Instagram is that in terms of style that you aim for, you also aim with any, like, granted what you said, any grab that can facilitate this, trying to hold it for as long as possible. Um, so even yeah. with a crossed-legged grab where if you hold it too long and you get stuck, you're, you're really in trouble. Um, or the Liu Kang, like you said before. So that's a, that's an extra thing where style has forced you to actually go for more difficulty is saying, actually, it looks better if I can get into this grab and hold it for as much of the, ro- you know, and, and only come out of it when I'm re-entering. So that's that's kind of like a an extra level, right? Yeah, because it's easy to just touch your skate, like get into a, like do a, do a, do a 540 and just do a, like a Japan, yep. for example, or whatever it is, and just touch it and then kick back out of it and yep. keep spinning. That's easy. Getting into a position, holding it, and using that that grab or that formation to go all the way around—that's a lot harder. Yeah. But it looks so much better. Yeah. And that, or, or that, even that, that dynamic tweak, which is quite cool as well, right? Where you're actually you're in the position, turning, then tweaking um, as well as yeah. part. Of, it makes yeah, it even because, more interesting to watch. Yeah, because when you tweak, for example, left hand, when I used to tweak those near mutes your body changes as well because you're not upright anymore. Now, because you're tweaking, your body is full arched over, so it changes the, the dynamic of the spin. Yeah. No, yeah, so so you talk about progression from that. Yeah. Um, go into double grabs. So some rotations are too short to do double grabs, so it looks stupid, but once you get to 540, 720, 900, you can do double grabs. So I used to do like a, a Liu Kang into a cross mute or a, a whatever. So you... So your first rotation is one grab, and you switch into a second rotation, which is another grab. So that's another level after that. Yeah. You know, and the hard thing about that was trying to keep it clean and not make it look like messy, like you're snatching at it, arms flailing and stuff. Yeah. But you do it a little bit higher, you get a little bit more time with your tricks. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I see those double grabs done really well, it seems almost like it's too. Um, like, you know, when you see, like, a kind of martial arts pattern being sort of worked out across the mats, you know, it seems like two quite, you know, locked grabs that are very definitely done and grabbed, and then the yeah. next one's done, and so you really do feel like there's a, it doesn't feel like just a snatching and then a snatching and then a, you know, whatever, but feels like, it almost adds, like, these um, panels to the trick itself, right? You can kind of imagine the photo spread as the trick. Yeah, happening. it's got to... Yeah, well, it's, it's, I'm going to post a, a sequence shot I have of, of one of those. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be smoother and not all. So you can't, you can't, not not all two grabs go together well. Yeah. 
So, you know, so you've got to pick the grabs that flow into each other. So a good start would be a leg out one, like a, a rocket or a Liu Kang one yeah. for your first spin. And for your second spin, you tuck it up more yeah. and make it look like a nice clean landing. So you pick a grab that, that resembles that. So you've got a straight out one, then a, then a tucked one. So, th- th- so you clean it up and you bring the spin in and, and you land it. You just got to you just got to work it out. I, I was um, I, f- I found a lot of little documents that I told you I found. Yeah. That I shared with you. I found a whole bunch of runs. I used to write down my runs, like awesome. hundreds of hundreds of runs. Yeah. And I would draw the shape the shape of the ramp on top. It's like a band's because, playlist. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just like. If the ramp was this and had a roll in here, okay, these are the runs for that ramp. If the ramp was straight, these are the runs. And I had all these runs planned out. And you got to plan out runs for different occasions. So you got you're not going to do your finals run every time. You got to save some. So you do a prelims run or you do a heats run, whatever. Yeah. So basically, we used to do 52 seconds. That's about 18 walls. If you go high, that's about 18 walls. If you go a bit, stick around the coping, it's about 20 walls. Yeah. So now you have to work out a run where you can mix grinds, inverts, airs, spins, and flips without much wastage, yeah. without, without, with the least amount of setups, but still maintaining amplitude, still maintaining your height yeah. some, somehow. So you have to work out, are you going to start with big airs and then work your way down, or are you going to start lower and then try to get back up later? Yeah. Um, and so you've got 18 walls. You don't do your, your most complicated tricks on your first heat, you know, your heat first one or two runs. Yeah. You save it. And then what you do in the finals is you replace some of those tricks. So instead of doing a 540, now I'm going to do a 900. Yep. And instead of doing the 720 on that wall, I'm going to do a 1080. And instead of doing the fakie 540, I'm going to do the fakie 900. You know, so that's how that's how you build up a run for a competition. And then, like you you asked me on on the, the email, do you change it on the run when you're on the platform? Do you change the runs? So yeah, sometimes you have to. So you're up against Matt, sometimes and then suddenly to. he lands something you didn't think he was going to even try, let alone land. And you're one run in, and if that first run was solid, then you might go, well, crap, I'm going to have to go for, you know, maybe I wasn't going to risk the 1260 if I didn't have to, but now I'm going to go for something like this, right? Yeah, yeah, so you kind of keep the same structure, so, so the same four airs at the beginning, three airs in the middle, a couple of grinds, a couple of inverts, get back up in the air, but you just replace certain tricks with more harder. Yeah. More harder tricks or, or a harder combination of tricks. Uh, sometimes the hardest thing was to do not just a one-off trick, but it was to do like a forwards 900 into a 1080 into a fakie 900 yep. into something else without any setup. Where you wouldn't do that in a normal, just a heats run. Yeah. You would save that for the end. Um, and yeah, all, and, and the reverse also. If everyone else is falling around you and you don't need to do those big tricks at the end, then you just tone it down and you just keep it safe. And But I never really did that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do really if, you, if you notice you land low down or land a bit off balance and so you've lost yep. amplitude? Um, what's, what's your kind of, like, you know, say you were wanting to next go for a 900 or something, but you realize, hang on a second, I've, I'm off balance coming down out of that last air or whatever it is. What's the, I mean, is it like some kind of rotation tap trick or what what do you do then? What's the thing that still delivers what you want to deliver when you don't quite have the, what you wanted? Or do you just waste the wall to get a bit of speed and balance? No, well, this this is what I was going to say. You have to have tricks that can get you back up, give you your legs a bit of relief Yep. and get you – so if you bomb out on a, say, a big 540, you land flat bottom. Yep. Um, then what you do is you get up onto the coping, do a little backside grind, maybe do an invert on the other one yep. and then start hit one or two walls of airs and get, get your spin back on and try to get back into the, the sequence that you had before. Sometimes it can stuff your whole run up because a whole run will defend will depend on on your first two three walls. If you bomb out your first two three walls, then you're going to just have to make it up, up as you go. Yeah. And and um and be creative because um, some ramps are set up certain, like some ramps we used to skate. They had channels in the middle, and they had a tombstone on the left, like a big drop in thing. Mm. So you kind of were limited to 
once you planned your run out, if you stuffed it up, you kind of had to either start it again or just be creative and make it up as you went yep. and try to make up the ground. But it's very hard. Once you, once you bottom out on a big ramp, it takes a lot of leg power to get back up and it just kills your run. Yep. So, but if you bottom out a bit, then hit that coping, get, get upright on the coping so you've got more pump for the next wall and then start again and keep going. Yeah. And then you've got to go hell for leather. Then you really got to link all your tricks and go big and just make up for the – and that, that happened a lot. That happened with me at the first X Games I went to against Manuel. I fell on the first air. I went <laughs> up. I tried to pump so hard and I just fell. I just yeah. dropped. I sucked in too much. And so I had to get back up, and there's no, there was no way I was going to make ground against Manuel. So, yeah. so I had to go. I had to go through the loser bracket to to, to get back to the final. Yeah. So I had to skate twice as much as anybody. But that that can happen. Yep. And that's that's why I get I get nervous when when I when I when I wrote that I get nervous at competitions always, even if I was skating against Joe Nobody, because it's not up to them really. It's up to you. You could fall on a, on an invert. I've, Matt fell against me on a grind. Like it's all these little stupid mm. little things that you can fall on and you you can go do 1080s all you want. But you fall on, on an invert or a grind or, or an air, <laughs> which we've all done, then that's it. And it could be the ramp. It could be you not feeling well that day. It could be I've slipped on a sticker. Yeah. I've landed a, I've landed a trick at an ASA, come down fakie and slipped on the sticker <sighs> that they put. <laughs> they put on the middle middle of the of the ramp. Yeah, and you, you don't. What, what can you do? That's just yeah, how it is. So it is, yeah. you you got to be on all the time. Yeah. One one final question, um, and then I have to head off. And uh, is um, and I, I messaged this through to you. Um, on, on the psychological side of stuff, maybe in the future we can talk a bit about the kind of camaraderie and competition between you and Matt Salerno. But um, what was it like sometime in the kind of mid to late? 90s suddenly the hero of you and so many chris edwards suddenly uh, was struggling to keep up and then wasn't even contending wasn't even placing what does that do to your mindset what does that feel like and then on the other hand you've got these teeny tiny little yasutoko boys who um who are suddenly kind of rising up almost at the same time right the late 90s that you've got chris placing 10th one year towards the end of the 90s and then suddenly Ato winning towards the end of the or or two thousand or something like this. Um, uh, what 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 are those two things like going on? on? The one hand, wow, this feels weird. You know, he just can't keep up. And then on the other hand, my goodness, this little thing is just. <laughs> uh, why won't yeah, you well, die? With, <laughs> um, what's what's that like me, as a competitor? With with me, I've always said it's not about the age. Yeah, it's about the it's about the miles. So I started skating when I was 23. So most guys are like retiring pretty soon after that. But I've ne- I'd never skated before that. So I still had many years ahead of me, if you know what I mean. Yep. The Sushi Brothers, they started skating when they were babies. So yep. they had a lot of years of development and skating in their legs. So once they hit um, maturity, got a bit of muscle, it all came together. Yep. All right. Um, Chris Edwards had done a lot of injuries, a lot of skating. So he boomed in about 94, 95. And yep. then after that, you know, all those years had caught up with him and everyone had caught up with him and, and, and whatever. But um, with, with me personally, I think it was around 2000, like 98, I won the X Games. I was number one. 99, I was still number one. But I got silver at the X Games to Eitel, and then the year after he won it, I think, or Ty mm. won it. That was like the changing of the guard, and that's when I got injured. That's when I broke my arm. Yep. So there was a lot of things. There was a lot of factors too. A lot of the the, the good skaters were getting older now. Were, were starting to drop off, and Takeshi and Eitel were, were just coming through. Yep. So it, it was like the, it was like their, it was like like a cycle. You know, it was like their time. It was their time when everyone else was falling off, you know what I mean? And the sport was also starting to, to fade a little at that time as well. Mm. And not, not, not long after that, we, we got taken off the X Games and so people stopped. There was a lot less interest in it and they kept they just kept doing it. Yeah. Um, but they they grew up at a skate park Yeah. and they lived at the skate park. I went there and they they lived in a double-decker bus in at the skate park and <laughs> that's how, that's how the, the parents met, by skating. Um, so it was in there. It was in their blood, and once they got a bit um, 
mature and strong enough. And that they were they were amazing. And the only thing is they couldn't speak a lot of English. So the interviews they couldn't do a lot of interviews yeah. for the world press. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they were they were super nice. Yep. Um, perfect ambassadors for our sport if you're talking about representation and, and good behavior and, and just nice fun um, kids I, I don't want to call them kids mm-hmm. but they were but they were kids at the time they were yeah yeah that's right um, I mean uh, Takeshi was like so 12 or 13 when he first started competing wasn't he in the X Games uh, probably yeah 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 um, first time I skated against Eitor he was 12 at yeah. Nice. <laughs> And the poor, poor, poor kid, you know, like we had to go head to head at the NIS and, you know, I just did a couple of flips and a couple of things and shook his hand and took photos. And, but what they did is the father, father videotaped every single competition from every single year. So he just copied what all the best skaters were doing at the time. And that's how they learned. Yeah. Um, and then after my injury, after I broke my arm, which I didn't know I was going to skate again or anything, but I, I came back pretty quickly, but physically I came back very quickly. Yep. Mentally, mentally, that year was really hard for me. Like, am I going to fall again? Am I going to break my arm again? Can I do this? Can I do that? So mentally, it was a lot harder to come back. And then after that, I wasn't willing to like smash myself as hard as I used to. Yep. And this is when double flat spin started coming in, double backflips, and all. That. I'm like, I'm not, I don't know if I want to break my neck mm. for this and go through all that again. Everyone goes through a hunger period you know when you first learn something yeah you go through a hunger hunger period where you devour all the information you have energy to burn you, you, you'll smash your head against the brick wall it doesn't matter yeah we went past all, we went past all that yeah we had our our learning period so to to for the new guys coming through it was their turn to progress the sport it was their turn to throw the double flat spins it was their turn to, to you know you know what i mean yep yep to to to, to, to crash and burn and luckily they had woodwood see the the innovation of woodwood with the foam pits and the and the and the, the soft ramps and all that that helped a lot that if you see BMX now BMX is crazy with the tricks they're doing oh, because no, they learned a lot yeah. of the, yeah a lot of the stuff at woodwood and the rollerblades is the same I never yeah. liked the foam pits or used any of the resin hmm. the resin ramp or whatever it was called but that that improved the sport and Makes that was sense, another yeah. yeah another bit of progression. It made the sport jump to the next level. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to have to finish up, but I think what I'm picking up in all of this, which is good, and this is, I guess, the key to anyone in any sport who's really got integrity and 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 uh, is in it for more than themselves, is there's a lot of honour coming through in what you're saying in the sense that you respect those who've gone before you, who've laid the foundation, recognising oh, they've always. done their work and, you know, not in any way looking down on or despising or dismissing them when they're past the peak but honoring them and on the other hand honoring the people coming up in front of you and rather than resenting or being frustrated by that you actually go man you're the future and i actually can take pleasure and delight in seeing you come up and surpass me because because we're all whether it's the person before me or the person after me we're all doing something we love and um and that's so much better than being kind of resentful or bitter or excuse making or blaming the sticker on the ramp or blaming the injury or blaming circumstances you just go no you just you have your time in the sun don't you and you do the best you can no that's I've always I've always respected Chris Edwards and I always everyone knows that to yeah. me he's the he's the king on the ramp because of what he did in the early days sure people surpassed his level eventually but what he did in the early days he like he, he built the road yeah, you know it was a dirt road. <laughs> he built the road. He, he, he put the bitumen down so we could drive our cars on the road. Otherwise, we'd still be driving horse and buggies. So that's what Chris did yeah. early on, without that much support or inspiration around him. I mean, no offense to all the skaters at the same time, but no one was at near his level. Yeah, and and that's just a fact. And he was always trying to innovate. He's a crazy bastard. <laughs> if you know Chris, he's a crazy bastard. Off the ramp, you talk to him, he's so energetic, he's so creative, he's always thinking of this, thinking of that. And so he laid down the foundations, we all followed, we laid down some foundations, the Sushi Brothers followed after that, now people are copying them. It's just, that's how it works. And it's it's a beautiful thing that's still going, that's still somehow alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it, is about, it is about respect. And, and I've received more respect than I feel I've ever deserved, and I, I feel honoured about that. And so I will always put that back in that's the way man yeah 
Yeah. We have to finish there, Seth. So that's awesome stuff. Thanks again, man. It's great fun. All right. Take care, buddy. Yeah, you too. See ya. Bye. Mad Beef Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch. Theme music by Edifice Architect. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher and get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Mad Beef is supported by Skater HQ. You can find them online at skaterhq.com.au. We are also supported by our growing number of Patreon patrons. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon. Even just $2 a month, every little bit helps.